0: Welcome to Lab the Podcast. We are uncovering enchanted reality through conversations with people whose lives and work give us a glimpse of the life and beauty of the gospel. We're so glad you're joining us for the conversation. Lab the Podcast starts right now. Welcome to Lab the Podcast. I am so excited to introduce and share some time with V3's newest team member, Wendy Kiefer. Wendy joins the team as a conservatory artist. She is a poet, passionate about truth and beauty, and has been drawn to many forms of artistic expression, dance, drama, singing, writing, and drawing. She earned a bachelor's in creative writing from the University of South Florida, before relocating to NYC to pursue theater. After 12 years in the city, she returned to Tampa Bay. She is a mother of four who serves alongside her husband, Billy, as a deacon, teacher, and worship leader within their congregation. She enjoys gathering around tables with family and friends and sinking her toes in the sands in one of our favorite places, Fort DeSoto Beach, uh, which is beautiful, windy, writes poetry, Uh, songs, children's stories, and she loves poetry's ability to awaken, amplify, and refine the sense of being alive, which is a beautiful little line from Dana Joya that we'll pull on later on. As a conservatory artist, Wendy will help nurture embodied faith by writing poetry, uh, sharing poetry, curating our poetry corner here in Tampa, and participating in V3's Chapel Liturgy. Wendy, uh, first, so excited to have you on our team. It's like a thrill And super grateful to share some time with you today.
1: Thank you so much. I am equally excited to be here.
0: Yeah, we get to do, Mm -hmm. like, this is our job to talk poetry and the intersection of faith and art and life, and it's good. And Mm -hmm. we'll get into it, but this does, I was saying, represent a pretty cool next step for V3. We've been dreaming about our conservatory artist program for years. Uh, we added conservatory artists in the musical sphere uh, a while ago, and we kept wanting and hoping and praying for the opportunity to have an artist who is a poet participate and be on our team because poetry is so important to what we're hoping and and aiming at, um, hoping for and aiming at at V3. So today I want to do a couple of things. Uh, so first, thanks for giving us time. Here's the two things. First, I'm excited for people to get to know you. I want to hear a little bit of your story, let you share a little bit of your story. And we're going to talk a little about V3's conservatory art program and why poetry is a great next step for what we're called to do. And then I want to pull on that thread by talking about poetry's role to help us embody our faith. So that's our way in. I want to start, though, by going back to, and maybe invite you to do it this way. Imagine yourself as a 10-year-old Wendy, uh, wherever that was. Take us back to that childhood space, and here's what I'm curious about. And it always fascinates me when people start to to go back to that place. But are there little glimmers or little hints that were there that if you were to visit that 10-year-old version of yourself, that you could look around and say yeah, it makes sense that I would have ended up going on and living in New York. And so tell us the story a little bit as it unfolds from that 10-year-old moment. And was it there? Could you see it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it really is a hindsight moment to look back and explore the beginnings. And, you know, I grew up in Dunedin, a little coastal town about 45 minutes outside of Tampa I had three brothers, and I just had a wonderland of a childhood. I think you and I were talking about that sort of feeling of of hopping on your bike and just riding off and having the neighborhood, the full reign of the neighborhoods. You know, a lot of the land was undeveloped. You could just run through an orange grove or, you know, play on a developing neighborhood. So I feel like my childhood was just very enchanted overall and full of exploration and you know, creativity. I was dancing, I was acting, I was doing accents, um, skits and plays with friends. And then there's one memory around when I was seven that I feel like it's just one of those crystallizing moments. Um, my mom went through a short period of putting us in beauty pageants, my brother and I. So, you know, we won the regional. I was Little Miss Florida Sunshine. Wow. I know, I know. <laughs> and went on to the state and you had to have a talent so my talent was writing and reciting original poetry and guess what the title of my poem was as a little seven-year-old
0: I can't even Mm -hmm. guess but I want to know
1: the gift of beauty
0: you were kidding seven
1: seven so and I mean my teacher obviously helped me with it but so that was just one of those moments I see it's always been with me. I've I've always been interested in literature and all of the arts, really, um, dance, drama. When I went into high school, I could not stay out of the theater. Um, and I realized that at that point, I mean, I had a very wonderful childhood. I had loving parents, but in high school, it got very challenging. My home life became very challenging. My parents were going through something very difficult And I think the arts were really like, I mean, I hate to say an outlet, but maybe that valve that kind of releases the pressure and it has a way of expressing. So I feel like I clung to the arts in that way, too, in that time. Um, And then off to college, I majored in dance and musical theater and, again, experienced this devastating tragedy while I was in college that uh, sent me reeling for years and again because my family you know we we didn't know the lord we weren't walking with the lord um i think the arts kept me from plummeting maybe even further and i think that they yeah so you know as i was coming out of that i ended up as a english and creative writing major at usf and that was a great transition for me i i i feel like i had gone as far as i could go with drama and dance and I really needed to dive deep into poetry and literature it was giving it was feeding my soul something that it was very hungry for and um and then but I couldn't stay out of the theater department you know I kept auditioning for their plays and and the there was a student director directing a play he cast me in it three years later we were married (laughs) so that's where I met my husband um but I had my sights on New York City, I, it was it called to me, I think New York is a beacon for a lot of people, and I didn't quite have a plan hatched, I didn't know exactly why or how, but I knew somehow that, that that's where I needed to go to find that answer. So uh, that took me on that path, I left for New York, my husband soon followed, and yeah, 12 years in the city, I mean, that is a place that will really mature you, that environment is just, it really is such a, a challenge. And in the face of that challenge, you just grow really um, exponentially. So, but my, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite stories of New York is that I, I moved there for the arts, I moved there for theater, I moved there to be in and among all of these artists and to chase this childhood dream. But I met the Lord in New York you know, that's where I had my conversion and it was very profound, very powerful conversion. And, you know, ironically, the thing that I had been looking for in the arts, I, I realized it was, it was very, very aware of the fact that that's what I was always looking for. I was always looking for him in plays, in writing, in literature. It was, I, I realized that I had finally found what I had been looking for.
0: It's so it's amazing to hear you tell, to frame that that part of your story like that. We quoted a few weeks ago, St. Francis of Assisi, a quote that's attributed to him, that the one who you are searching for is the one who is searching. And Mm. we, as a team, we were talking about the function of beauty drawing us into the good, drawing us into the true, but it is often beauty that is that first thing that, that sets sets us curious or starts to allure us or pull us in a direction of good and true and beautiful and I hear you saying that I went looking for the arts because I thought that's what I was searching for beauty participation in beauty and then I found the beautiful one mm-hmm. and I want to pull on that thread a little bit more but I want to go back because another thing you said that stuck out to me was difficulty, tragedy, mm-hmm. these moments of a story that we just kind of, you know, say, hey, in th- three minutes, can you tell us your story? <laughs> no. So I can't wait for people to get to know you uh, over time. And as an artist, as a person, but you mention it, that art gave you this ability to give language for the things that you didn't have language for, to express things that you, your body knew and you were feeling. Uh, And then performance art did that in some way, but there was a reservoir that you were able to dive into with literature and with poetry that you said fed your soul Mm -hmm. Uh, curious at that time in that space. Um, had you been writing poetry already since that seven-year-old moment? Had you continued to develop the the poetic piece of your gifting, or did you return back to it and find that that was what you needed to start really touching some of those things that you were feeling that you didn't have words for?
1: I think I never stopped writing poetry. I may have had periods where it became more important and I wrote more frequently but it's the one thing that I've never stopped doing. So I have poems tracing back to middle school, high school, I mean, just all the way through. And yes, I feel that that there was such a fun and a a depth to putting on a play and embodying someone else's words and co-creating that character, co-creating that story. But I think there was always a, a point at which I would bump up against this feeling that I wanted to be more involved in what was said or what was put forward, um, that I had more to explore in in that inner space. Mm -hmm. And yes, I think that, um, you know, no one wishes a tragedy on anyone and, and no one wants to go through that, but I really see God's hand in the power of redeeming the tragedy, redeeming something ugly or hurtful or broken poetry has a beautiful way of redeeming it's it literally is beauty from ashes there's something very difficult that you move through and if you're able to give it words not only are you taking something difficult and literally turning it into something beautiful but now you're offering that you're putting that out there for someone else to then be able to experience, walk through that same space with you, and feel that redemption, feel that link, feel that connection, mm-hmm. and that's that's powerful and beautiful.
0: When it connects universally, you know, even if my tragedy or my challenge, my storm is different, mm-hmm. the beautiful thing about poetry and just the way it it it. it It steps back from the rational mind dominating and language trying to particularize so much and allows us to think in or to open up to metaphor and to ideas that gives us more space and territory to say, I don't know what you were describing exactly, but I've felt whatever it is that you're, you're helping me experience right now as I hear your voice in your poem. I've felt that same thing too, right? And I don't even know if what you're feeling and what I'm feeling came from the same source, but I know the feeling is the same and we can bond over that. Yes. And there's something powerful about it. Did you know that you, were you conscious when you went to New York that there was a deeper longing or were you unaware of that at that moment in your life? You were just pursuing your dream, pursuing your calling, and you thought New York was that next place? Or were you conscious? I don't know what I'm searching for, but I know that it might be in New York.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think I was extremely conscious of it at the time. Um, it just called to me. It was, it, like I said, um, it was an obvious next step, but I don't think I knew what I was looking for until he found me, essentially, like you said. Um, then I looked back and I, I realized, I actually wrote a poem about this, that I really was looking for you in nature, in the, in the beauty of nature. I was looking for you in the beauty of love. I was looking for you in the beauty of, of standing on a stage under the lights, of the, of the hands clapping. I was looking for you in all of these situations and so it dawned on me, looking back, when I really realized. And, and that's the thing; it was, it was kind of easy for me to sort of take a right turn away from the arts when I when I came to the Lord, because it was so obvious mm. that this is where I need to grow. This is where I need to go. This is where I need to grow in His truth and His wisdom. This is what I've been wanting. Mm-hmm. And so it's, and yet He's made me this way that i needed to grow in him and i needed to learn and and take in his word and mature but that this part of me this artist that he was always he was always going to use it for his glory mm.
0: i love thinking about paul as he meets jesus and has this dramatic encounter with jesus And Jesus would say to Paul, you're my chosen instrument Mm. to carry this gospel to the nations, to the Jews and the Gentiles alike, and you're my chosen instrument, but you need three years in Arabia. (laughs) You need to be hidden away and come away with me for a bit. There's a Nora Jones quote if you're a Nora Jones fan, but if you need to be hidden away and brought near to me, so that that thing that I've made you to be can be fully embodied. Mm -hmm. uh, And so come away. I'm going to hide you away for three years. That's that's beautiful. Somebody out there is living that part of the story right now, feeling wooed uh, in a direction of transcendence, pursuing something other or beyond, right? But often for all of us, that beyond thing, we have to encounter the holy other, and that's mm-hmm. what is beautiful is we start out going, there's something beyond, yes. And you keep going in the direction of the beyond, and eventually you come ashore to the holy other, and mm-hmm. that's when the story kind of completely changes. Right. So I, we're going to, this is going to be a 12-hour interview, <laughs> Lamont's looking at me, <laughs> um, Okay, we'll come back. Sometime we're going to do a part two or you'll just have to come to chapel or you keep up with V3 or listen to Wendy's poetry because that part of the story deserves its own time. I'm curious though, as that change happened, you are an artist in New York. If you could look back and say, how did I change? Uh, How did that 12 years in New York, the dramatic moment of conversion and that complete widening of your your understanding, that changed you as a person. How did you change as an artist, uh, having lived in New York, having been around so many artists and having this paradigm change, but also the time in New York?
1: Yeah, I think that that New York forces you to rise uh, to another level. It forces you to realize where you are in relation to other artists and art in general. Um, if you come from a small town like Dunedin, and then you find yourself in New York City. It's a real eye opener as to where where you need where you are and where you could go, um, and so that requires a certain level of investment mm. for any artist mm. to. And and it's a humbling experience. You could be the best actress of your high school or your college and get there, and you are realizing you're. True skill level um, so, and I had a, a moment there was a defining moment where I had an opportunity to go to to pursue the possibility of going to Yale School of Drama. I realized I need more training mm-hmm. in this pool. I need more training, and yet when the opportunity to pursue that uh, really presented itself as a as a very possible choice. I knew I didn't want, I I didn't want it. That was a defining moment for me that I don't want this as much as I want something else Mm. that was unfolding, was yet to be known at the time. So I think that um, overall it expanded my worldview. It expanded my mind. I met so many different types of of cultures and people and was exposed to more art and, and that was so enriching but at the end of the day, um, I was looking, I really was looking for him. Yeah. So.
0: There's a story I I was able to hear from Ambassador Andrew Young, who was with Martin Luther King Jr. He tells his story and says that it was a series of strange coincidences that led him to become Martin Luther King Jr.'s right-hand man and then on to be ambassador to the United Nations and then the mayor of Atlanta, And he said, you know, his childhood dream was to run in the Olympics. And he gave that up. And he said, I'll never forget the day that I was sitting in my office as the mayor of Atlanta. And some businessmen walked into my office and said, Mr. Mayor, we'd like to bring the the Olympics to Atlanta. And he said, I realized in that moment I had given up my dream of the Olympics to go follow God in his call to Birmingham, Alabama, and meet Martin Luther King Jr. And then I was sitting behind the desk as mayor and God had brought the Olympics to me. And it's just stunning to think, like, I have the opportunity to go to Yale, right? And you're right about New York. I had the chance to go speak to some students at Berkeley School of Music a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I had that same experience. I was in an apartment house with these – every single person was – incredible at their craft, whatever it was. And it's just a whole other sphere of artistry. (laughs) So you have the chance to go have that experience at Yale, and yet God's calling you to something else. He's opening and unfolding something else. At that time, you have no idea that there's this little tiny humble project in Florida where you're going to come back to that's dreaming that there might be an opportunity to have working artists who are from the place that God has called you to be an artist, contributing to the arts, and so we met uh, through a, and again another series of coincidences. But you started hearing about V three, about our dream for a conservatory, about our conservatory artists. What was it that resonated with you about the work itself, or you know, just made you curious to say perhaps this is some this is a part of that unfolding story.
1: Sometimes I feel that I've been, as an artist in the believing world, um, especially being so interested in poetry, which has really taken a a hit or a beating, you know, overall, culturally, our perception of poetry. Sometimes I've felt a little lonely Mm -hmm. that I don't know what God is doing. I, I, I know that this is important and I know this is who I am, who he's made me to be, but I don't know why or how or if anyone is really interested in that, um, how many people are. And if it's so powerful to me, what does that mean? Is that, does that mean that it has power to mm-hmm. communicate to a truth or reality, to allow you to embody it or experience it? Um, and if that's the case, then what, what is God doing? I've often asked, what will you do with this? And so when you started speaking about your vision and your ministry and embodied faith and the way that poetry is a natural vehicle to getting closer to that, it just, everything resonated. That's a a very similar vision that I have had. And I think, you know, that's what partnership is. I mean, the Great Commission is like the grand partnership, you are aligned on a similar mission, with a similar vision, uh, with a similar goal. And I think that's what I felt. I'm, I'm still getting to know V3, and it's, I'm at the beginning of my journey. But as I was praying and counseling, I really felt like God spoke to me and said, this is a doorway, and I want you to walk through it. <laughs> so here I am. Oh,
0: it's so good, and we—I feel that same way. When we first got to Florida, I met many of you who are listening. May know the name Harley Riddell, but Harley in town is a remarkable, just wonderful, wonderful friend. Uh, generous, generous-hearted, good person. Uh, he's an attorney. You would never know, but he's one of the most wonderful poetic minds that you'll ever encounter. Wow. And he—he he can recite at the drop of a hat. Uh, poems from s- such a wide body of poets. He and I became friends very early on, and this love of poetry was around us and in our conversations I was listening. I was thinking, that's so interesting. And then uh, many of you have heard from Mike Metzger and John Seal. Some of these uh, people who have been friends and partners and in, in encouraging and nudging V3 in the right mm-hmm. direction have just said, there's something about the the work of poetry pay attention Mm -hmm. and dana joya who will be with us uh in just a few weeks wrote in 1991 you talk about poetry taking a hit 91 he writes for the atlantic and says pay attention because poetry is in decline in a really devastating way in our culture and that's going to have in massive significance and then he writes this little book poetry is enchantment and just describes the way poetry as malcolm guy would say helps something become embodied and I want to pull on that thread before we run out of time, that there's mm-hmm. something, whether it's all these voices, your resonance with this, there's something about poetry that's important and that we need to pay attention to as it relates to embodied faith. So I want to read from a poet. Many of you maybe not, don't, don't know that Lewis, C.S. Lewis, was a poet as well as a writer in prose, and he wrote fiction, and he wrote apologetics, he wrote philosophy. Um, But Lewis says this, and I want you to help us unpack this, Wendy, if you can, as it relates to embodiment. You'll you'll catch it at the end, but everybody listening, listen to this. This is C.S. Lewis from his reflections on the Psalms. He says, it seems to me appropriate, almost inevitable, that when the great imagination, which in the beginning For its own delight, and for the delight of men and angels, and in their proper mode of beasts, had invented and formed the whole world of nature, submitted to express itself in human speech. That speech should sometimes be poetry. For poetry, too, is a little incarnation, giving body to what had been before invisible and inaudible. Wendy, when you hear that poetry too is a little incarnation giving body to what had been before invisible and inaudible, what do those words touch off in you?
1: I mean, that is the habitation and a name, right? This, this idea, this it's reality. It's an idea or a concept that is a reality. And when you build a poem, when you build it with your speech and with your words, it literally becomes a place where you can enter, exit, stay a while, sit, grow, understand, contemplate, feel, experience. And that's the beauty of, of poetry. It speaks to your mind and your heart and your soul all at once. It's not a mental exercise. It, is, it requires your full body to even enter in. As the Dana Joya he said, it is a special kind of speech. That requires and rewards a special kind of listening, and so I think that 's one of the beauties of poetry is that it refines your senses to the degree that that they 're awakened and alivened to such a degree that the truth or the beauty that is around you can truly enter in mm. through your senses through your through your being, and that has transformative power really. And when you build that, when you build a poem that can do that, now others are invited into that, to ha- to cohabitate that space. It's amazing.
0: <laughs> it's really remarkable to hear you talk about building a poem like that, mm-hmm. as it as something that you can enter into and stay a while. That might be one of the most beautiful things about poetry that I've yeah. heard that that's how it functions with us. And that's why the invitation to return back to it. You think about 1991, you think about Lewis's work, early 1900s saying, hey, something's changing. We're losing our sense of what it is to be human. And that is that tells us something about what we understand about the world and about God and the existence of God in our relationship. Early 1900s, 1991, Dana Joy saying, we've almost lost completely this ability to Engage not with prose and this rational mind entry into these mysterious ideas, but we don't we don't have a way in to to inhabit and to enter in and stay a while with things that are mysterious and that involve our head and our heart and our body, and that's something to pay attention to. Ian McGilchrist, who's done a lot of work uh, on just the the power of of our mind and the way that language functions and he would caution us actually against talking too much about poetry hmm. because he would say you can't really you can't understand it from the outside in like that you have to enter in and inhabit it a bit mm-hmm. and so with that in mind i one of the things that you're going to help us do is curate our monthly poetry night and we've said, again, a special kind of language that requires a special kind of of listening. These capacities that are deeply important to what it is to be human, to what it is to embody our faith. It's not so much that we can teach a class about poetry. It's the, the essential thing is that we would engage poetry, that we would participate in poetry, that we would experience it and enjoy it. You're gonna help us do that a little bit with our just a monthly opportunity here in Tampa to share in poetry. We have one next week. and you selected a poem for that. Um, tell me a little bit before we before we get into the actual poem, uh, what excites you about that idea about participating in poetry together, not talking about it, but actually participating in it again, imagine yourself being somebody who's thinking, "Why would I come? why?" I hear you at these big idea levels of why this might be important and I hear poets advocating but but why should I come even especially if I'm one of those that's lost this and I have there, there's there's no proximity to poetry in my life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What would you say as a way to say no come try it? What what excites you about participating together?
1: Well I think we've we've touched on some of it that that you have this, you know, your senses are enlivened which also, it opens your heart. I feel like there is something very unique to poetry in that it has the ability to open or, or keep open your heart, and that's really important in, a, in an age where we are cut off, we are we're walled off, we are not engaging with one another from an open-hearted place. And poetry really requires that; it invites that. And then to do that in a group, um, I might get something out of a poem. I might feel something, I might see something, I might experience it in one way, but when you hear someone else experience something different and then someone else and then someone else, you realize that you have these different eyes through which to look that are not just the poets and they're not just your own, they're the person next to you, across from you and and vice versa. And so you really are able to see and experience so much of the human connection and condition just in reading and experiencing a poem together, um, also, I think that poetry, for me, it expands a sense of wonder mm. we've also lost that <laughs> um, it expands your sense of wonder, it expands your attunement mm. to the world around you and to one another, mm. and like you said there there's there's it's not a mental exercise. I think that that is also something where we've started to think of the mind as separate from the body or separate or even higher than the body. Mm -hmm. And the body is just subject to the mind's whims, this kind of thing. But the whole self, our entire self is required for poetry and it is inspired. Our entire self is inspired by it. And so to be able to do that together, is it means to sort of have a moment where you are connecting with your whole self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think... Ultimately, this enriches our, our understanding and our ability to engage with the Bible, with the poetry of the scriptures, with the poetry around us. And as we sort of feast on what is good and beautiful, we train our palate mm. to then seek out what is good and beautiful mm. all around us. Mm. It start, you start the books you end up reading, the, the experiences that you feel drawn to, all of it you've been trained to rework your palate after what is good and beautiful mm. and true.
0: Mm. And I love what you're saying about that retraining of the palate. This is what I think all of us are finding. We talk about uncovering enchanted reality. Yeah. It was there the whole time. Right. It never went away. Mm. But we lost our taste. We our tastes became tuned to other things, or our palate got accustomed to other things. And so we're after uh, actually unlearn something or uncover something. And when we do what I'm finding, and I think what so many of us are finding, is it's been there the whole time. Mm. And not only has it been there the whole time, but listen to Dana Joy's voice, listen to this poet's voice, and that poet, and there's Dickinson, and there's Coleridge, and there's all these, it, it's, a, it's we're immersed in it. I mean, I think mm-hmm. back to Michael Ward's podcast from a few weeks ago, and he, he's drawing from Lewis, saying that his, Lewis's understanding of cosmology, the the creation itself, the universe, alive, tingling dancing a festival a ceremony not a machine right mm-hmm. and he's saying the whole thing is that you've lost your sense of wonder you've lost your capacity and your palate for it but it's been there the whole time and if you'll start to uncover it what you'll find especially in the poets because they have that prophetic voice to call us back to something to return to something it's there, and I, right now, I, if you're listening, I want to draw us back to what Wendy just said about poetry functions in a way that we do that we embody something. It's not a rational exercise, and that's something really important to understand that if we're and I'm going to ask in a second, just how we can encourage poetry reading with our kids at home. We'll talk just a second about that, but it, we have to first understand that it's an embodied experience. And that's part of why it's so important for us when we say we want to nurture embodied faith. And if we nurture an embodied faith, we will end up uncovering enchanted reality because we see, as Lewis said, not at something, but through something. Mm-hmm. And so participation in the, the enjoyment of poetry will surprise you. Um, but you won't approach it. We can't approach it from a, just a a one dimensional kind of rational picture and say, well, I'm going to learn something that's going to teach me something. No, I want, we want to experience something and doing Mm -hmm. it together is part of the, the delight. Uh, again, we will get to Tuesday night poetry night, but for, for the person listening and saying, okay, you got me. Mm -hmm. Yep yes we i understand that kind of the disenchantment i feel it i see it i I understand what you say when you're talking about losing a a sense of your palate and needing your palate to be uh kind of cleansed and Mm re-inspired and i want that for my kids but again poetry i don't know anything about it how would you encourage a parent or somebody to just say who wants to say i want to take one step And maybe I'm not in Florida and I can't come to your poetry night, but you got me. Where would you nudge them? What would you nudge them towards?
1: I mean, there's so many places to begin with poetry, especially for children. Um, There's a lot of good writers out there that have curated books of poetry just for children. Um, I'm trying to think of my favorite titles at home, but... I think that I think that they'll be surprised. I mean, I I found a poem for Thanksgiving. Just found it in this collection of children's poetry. Again, I can find the name for it, and we can post it later if you want. But I found this poem, and it was for Thanksgiving. It was lighthearted. It was fun. And my family and I started doing this. We started reading this every Thanksgiving at our table, and then we put a tune to it. So now we sing this like Irish, <laughs> this Irish lilt this fun, boisterous song at Thanksgiving about being thankful about the food. And I feel like it's going into my child's memory and it's a part of the joy and excitement of Thanksgiving. Uh, it's not just about eating the food, but we'll, they'll remember that they, we sung this song together and we had the joy of that will linger in their memories. And I feel like there's moments like that where you can really punctuate with, some, with a poem that really says it all. Um, my friend reads Lord Byron every New Year's Eve. There's, You can get into a cadence where you choose a poem. Just start with maybe a holiday or to mark an occasion and find the poem, and then it will build a cadence, and you can bring it out with each holiday. Start there. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's so much available, uh, even reading psalms mm. to children, like Psalm 23 and having them memorize it. It is just so beautiful you can pray that as you go to sleep really
0: i love it i'm i'm just thinking if all of us right who are listening hundreds of people right now listening to this this particular episode and then as it travels and people share it um and we start just reading again and i love your suggestion google it a poem for thanksgiving i mean mm-hmm. let's go just start googling it uh if you're a pastor uh listen and pay attention or if you're a part of a church go and just say hey are we reading scripture the poet the the poetry of scripture is it being included in our liturgy is it being included mm-hmm. and emphasized in our with our children ask the question do the same thing at school uh if you public school private school charter school doesn't matter just ask the question is poetry to what extent is poetry a part of our cu- curriculum be an advocate for it uh i would say podcasts there are so many good poetry podcasts. You can literally just jump on being podcast. There's mm-hmm. so many beautiful podcasts. Just dive in. Listening to poetry, I have found, is such a helpful way because it is audible. There's the engagement of the person and the voice and the inflection and all the embodiment that happens as I listen. Uh, and so I'll read poetry, but I'll also listen to it and you know go for a walk, listen to some poetry. Yeah. And then if you have the opportunity and you're in Tampa and you're a part of this community or you want to come visit, we, we're going to do this every first Tuesday. We're going to have poetry corner here in Tampa. And Wendy, part of it is we're going to read a poem together. And, and part of that is to, because it is intimidating. Sometimes we go, I don't know how to do this. I don't have a palette for it. And so we get to get together and, and learn what it is to, to develop a palette. How are you going to help us develop a palette? And what's the, maybe tease that first poem that's going to be our way in.
1: Well, I, I think the love of poetry is actually quite natural. I think that you're right. We have to sort of undo this thinking that we've been um, that we've been saturated in. That poetry is somehow this uh, academic endeavor that's it's beyond us. It's out of reach. It's too abstract. I mean, we've had poetry in and a part of our civilizations, our hearts, our worlds from the beginning. Mm-hmm. This is recent where we think somehow it's unreachable, untouchable, it's too high on the shelf. Um, And I think that's what keeps people from feeling that they can engage in it or enjoy it. It seems like, oh, I don't, you want me to do math problems or, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I think first just deciding to take that notion and put it aside, just being willing to say, you know, that's what I thought it was. Maybe it's something else Mm -hmm. entirely. Mm -hmm. Um, and in that, you know, one of the, the poem that I really was gravitating toward for this first one, it's simple, it's imaginative, it's playful. It develops a sense of wonder and attunement to what is around you. And I think that that's a good place to start is just to remember that, um, there are so many accessible poets and poems that can, you can jump right in and enjoy them without getting your degree mm-hmm. <laughs> in poetry, you know? So they're very accessible. So that's the one I chose for, you know, this upcoming Tuesday, was mm. something that I thought was playful and enjoyable, easy to just dive in. And I think as that sort of comfort and, you know, comfort will lead to an enjoyment and an enjoyment will lead to excitement. And all of a sudden you, if you are engaging with poetry and you're giving it a chance, you'll realize wow i i this is not what i thought it was and i'm i'm really having fun and i'm mm. really growing mm.
0: yeah, i love how you said it's not top shelf it's not it's not so far out of reach but mm-hmm. we've kind of made that paradigm shift to think that no it's up there with the highest of the math and science categories that are so out of reach no 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 it's been with us the whole time in fact this is poetry before prose right there's we started out singing we started out yeah. rhyming we started out being formed in these ways mm-hmm. and then as our sense of wonder dissipated we kind of lost that mm-hmm. and put it up on the shelf high and out of reach and so thanks for that imagery that letting us enter in and spend some time with that if you're listening go go take it down off that shelf where we've kind of culturally put it and I would just encourage you, it's February of a new year, make this a part of how you're going to in at least explore an embodied faith that poetry will return, the poetry of scripture, poetry in general. So I can't wait for this imaginative, playful poem. I'm very glad that you did go get a degree in this area and you can help us and help us recover. We're thrilled and excited to have you on the team. And I think when we hear from Dana Joya in a few weeks, it's just going to keep deepening our appreciation for the art form and for your investment in the art form and for your yes, being a part of the team. So Wendy, thank you so much uh, for helping us. I have to close with this little quote from Lewis. He said, I'm so coarse. The things the poets see are obstinately invisible to me. And I, there's times I feel like that. So if you're hearing this <laughs> uh, and you're going, I, 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 I've tried to read poetry and it just, I can't see it uh, Lewis, you're in good company because Lewis felt what you feel. And so Wendy, thank you. How can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out, if they want to get a hold of you, obviously you can just send, we have an info at VUVIVO and we can put you in touch, but are there other ways that people can find you or find your work? Would you want us to point them in any way yet?
1: You know, I'm still working on that, but I appreciate that. Um, that is uh, up and coming. So I think the email is a great uh, avenue at this point. But um, but yeah, I'm really excited. I'm excited for what you're doing. I'm excited to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll keep everybody posted on how. And if you want, send us an email. We always end with that. But email us at uh, zach at vuvivo.com, info at vuvivo.com get a hold of us, ask us a question, give us a challenge. If you say yes, and uh, tell me more about this. And if you would like to receive our monthly update, Wendy's going to be contributing to that as well now monthly. So you can hear her voice come through on that. But Wendy, thank you. Welcome to the team. And thanks for the time. We'll we'll pull on the other threads of your story uh, sometime down the road, but we'll see you on Tuesday night for Poetry Corner.
1: Sounds great. See you there.
0: Thanks for joining us for the conversation. Remember to like and subscribe to Lab the Podcast and visit VUVIVO.com to help us uncover enchanted reality. We'll see you next time.